Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus this is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, to Orr! Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Proof. Saw Jack after in the intermission and he was still so angry about the hit. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm gonna get a off! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice. I've been a producer here at WEEI for roughly a year and a half at this point, and a writer for a little bit less than that. Joined alongside Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. Bridget, ladies first, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Thanks, Brian. I am a college hockey broadcaster for ESPN. I work here as a Red Sox producer and now a Bruins writer uh, with you two guys. Scott? Yeah, I've been uh, with WEI since 2013, so I go back a ways. Uh, I've contributed to our Bruins coverage in one form or another pretty much that whole time and now I've taken on a little bit bigger role including uh, starting this podcast back up with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think before we get started, I, obviously people are going to be coming back to this realizing, you know, hey, this isn't Ken Laird and Matt Kalman. Uh, so I guess just a little bit of housekeeping in terms of the journey that the skate podcast has gone on, uh, which is that it's basically been off for the last year. Uh, Matt was unfortunately furloughed uh, early in the p- pandemic. Uh, Ken's duties at the radio station have increased. He is now, I don't know what his official title is, but he's like co-acting program director, I guess. You know, so Skate Podcast has been off. You know, Ken is too busy with other stuff. Uh, Matt's not here. So the options are either let it die or pick it back up with new people. So that's what we're doing. Uh, we have all been contributing to WI.com's Bruins coverage this year. So we've been following the team closely. We've been writing about them on a daily basis. And now we're getting back into this podcast. So hopefully, if you've listened before, you give us a chance. Hopefully, uh, you enjoy it. We win you over and uh, you keep listening. Yeah, I, I would probably classify this as a bit of a retool on the fly to use GM speak. And I think, I think Scott, you're being a little humble, I think, uh, in your role here because in my mind, you're kind of like the Wizard of Oz of WEEI.com. You're the guy behind the curtain, you know, pulling all the <laughs> strings and managing all the all the content that goes out. and Helping uh, me fix my spelling uh, mistakes <laughs> yeah, before turn, we publish. You turn us into writers overnight when we send you stuff. And then 
Uh, Bridget has been a huge help to me. I've known her since my first day. My first shift at EEI, I was coming in for the NBA draft. And uh, Bridget, yeah. Bridget had like an entire notebook of um, key, keyboard shortcuts. And uh, she was one of the first to train me here. So uh, her and I go way back to my start here. So the two of you in particular have been very helpful to me for different capacities. Scott with the writing and Bridget producing. So happy to do this with the two of you to start. I'm excited. Great. Let's, uh, let's get at it. Well, I guess there's a lot to get into uh, as of late. I think we'll start off, though, uh, being the first episode, let's each go around and just maybe talk about the biggest surprise so far this season. I mean, obviously, it's a year that saw a lot of change, a young decor. Um, Char is gone. Bergeron takes over as uh, you know the captain of the team, even though he had been a second captain with Char for years. Um, so there were questions, uh, secondary scoring, all this stuff. So, uh, Bridget, we'll start with you. What would you say your biggest surprises for the Bruins this year? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. When the rookies came in, just to so much roster turnover, I wasn't sure how they were going to slot in, and I wasn't sure they were going to make the leap right away because a lot of the guys that they brought in, like Trent Frederick, has been in, he's been in the system. Zborl's been in the system. Sadnika even. They've been in the system for a long time, and they hadn't made the jump yet. So I was thinking, I was a little hesitant to see how many of those guys had made it back into the, had made it, their way into the lineup so I mean I was pleasantly surprised with the fact that Trent Frederick can score and he can be an instigator I think Zaboral and Lausanne have played very well in NHL level um, on defense and Stonika he has a lot of potential too I was definitely surprised in a good way uh, with the fact that they just became NHL caliber players right away yeah I, I think Stonika is an interesting one because He's a kid who has, I don't know, Scott. I mean, would you say I wouldn't say top center potential, but probably second center potential. Yeah, I would say you know? number number two center is probably yeah. his, his upside. And so he he's likely probably the future replacement for Krejci's role over the last ten plus years uh, as the Bruins' second center. So that said, who's going to be their first center long term when Bergeron eventually leaves? That's that's a question. But Sanika's played well. Frederick has had a really good. Um, you know, instigating, agitating presence. Which... It's funny, though, because I didn't know he was going to be like that. Because I'm, like I said, I'm a college hockey broadcaster. I watched him when he played at Wisconsin. Obviously, you can't get away with that stuff in college hockey. So it was kind of a level of the game I hadn't seen him play before. I had the um, the ability to interview him when he first came to the Bruins. And he's kind of like what you would expect. He's pretty easygoing, but he also, you know, he's he's a high-energy guy. But, you know, I didn't know he was that feisty, and I yeah. I love watching him play. Yeah, the, uh, the, the behind-the-B clips of him are hilarious because they're— Oh, the, the, the <laughs> can't figure out the song. The, 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 the... Well, well, that too, but, like, you know, you don't—he's not really somebody who's interviewed too often when, when, when there's press availability. It's usually no. the leaders and the coaches and stuff. So uh, behind-the-B, like, the first episode, it was the P.K. Subban incident. And so you don't know what he, his voice sounds like, right? And you hear him chirping Subban— and his voice is just hilarious. It's like this little high-pitched raspy. He's like, I'm in your kitchen, 7-6. Woo! And it's like, what are you, Ric Flair? So I don't know how like people take him seriously out there, but then he goes and fights someone like Tom Wilson. It's like, okay, well, you have to take him seriously as an agitator. So, um, so Scott, how about you? What's been the biggest surprise so far? So early in the season, I would have been with Bridget and specifically saying the defense, the young defense playing as well as they have. And, you know, I guess to a certain extent, that's still a surprise, but we've sort of gotten used to it now as we're getting – further and further into the season. I would say right now the biggest surprise for me is that they are still struggling as much as they are offensively, uh, which, you know, we knew secondary scoring would be a question, um, but I really thought that they had the potential to be much better than this. Like, you know, I think Krejci's been fine for the most part. He's been pretty good defensively. He's still, you know, a good playmaker, but took until this past week to get his first goal of the season. Yeah, Jake DeBrusque has obviously been a huge disappointment. I'm a huge Krejci defender, though. Like, Krejci, as much as he doesn't oh. score, yeah. I just, like, I if you really understand the game, like, you understand why Krejci never gets pulled from the... He doesn't get that statement scratched. He's yeah. not going to get that. He just offers so much more. People who are casual hockey fans... They drive me crazy with this crazy hatred that's just totally out of left field, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's it's foolish. And I love Krejci, too. As far as secondary scoring goes, I think he's kind of the, the least of the problems. Like He's got like 12 assists. Yeah, 12 assists I mean, a lot of them are on the power play, so that slants it a little. But you look at the rest of the group, and you know we just touched on DeBrusque. I'm sure we'll be getting into him more. But obviously a massive disappointment, a guy that you're really 
you give him that bridge deal and you're really looking for him to step up and establish himself as a true number two left wing, consistent night in, night out, like finally put it all together. It's time for him to take that jump. And it's just gone the exact opposite way where it's been a huge step back to the point where like now the discussions are, what even is his trade value? Does he even have any value? What is his future I have with the this, team? I have this conversation all the time. What do you get in return for Jake DeBrusque if you want to send him right out now, of town? Right now, not a lot. And, and the thing is, after the scratch, like, it, I mean, obviously that draws attention to other teams who are thinking about maybe, like, making a move with the Bruins. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what his value is to other teams, honestly. He's still young. I, I don't know. It, it's not going to no. be a lot that you're going to get back. Yeah, so, like, I wrote a column about this a couple weeks ago, and around the same time, Flutish and Zawa wrote something with some insight where he cited a leaked source that said you'd have to be looking at essentially a, a like-for-like swap, like our struggling young player for your struggling young player. Just to try and, something new for Yeah, just teams, change so. the scenery for two players. And if that's the case, I'm not trading him. Nor am I. I'm not. Like, I don't need to bring in another forward who I just hope figures it out. I, my team is already loaded with those forwards. So, no, like, play him, work with him. Obviously, once he gets cleared from this latest COVID protocol uh, list that he's on now, you you know, we'll find out more about that tomorrow afternoon when the next list comes. Monday afternoon when the next list comes out. I mean, it's like the Charlie Coyle one, he was only out for one one game because it was not, he didn't end up having it. And obviously, you hope that's what it is with DeBrus is... We'll, whole, we'll know. We'll know because yeah, this, if he starts missing more days, right. you know he, he's got to have it. So, well, And that's a good segue because despite what I put on the uh, Google Doc, I'm actually changing my biggest surprise. <laughs> um, I would say my biggest surprise so far would be the Bruins' third line and the lack of production. And I feel like an idiot because before the season I wrote down some predictions um, on the website for individual players and whatnot, and I wrote down that Coyle and Craig Smith would be one of the better you know, third-line tandems in the league. I genuinely thought that because I looked at Craig Smith as not somebody who was going to come in and score 30, but he, he's a honey badger. He comes in, he works his ass off and all those things, but he kind of has some stone and, and hands. he had been a pretty consistent 20 goal scorer yes, he had. throughout his career. And so. and Coyle was coming off of uh, an absolute fleece of a trade in retrospect between oh him God. and Donato. But not even close. Came in, played great that first year, unbelievable playoff run, uh, big player for them. And then last year before the shutdown, he had... You know, I want to say 16 or so goals and could have been around 25 with the amount of, you know, chances he had yeah. last year. And just was and, a, and he was, like, leading forwards in ice time yeah, for, he was, for a good, like, two-week stretch there just he was, before the pause. He was, he was, playing, he was playing to his, his potential. And I know uh, some of the Minnesota Wild uh, color guys were, were talking about, you know, one, when Coyle would score some big goals, they would say their response would be, why can't he do this more often? And And for the first two years here, I was like, well, we are seeing it. And now I'm starting to see what they were – seeing when he was a little bit inconsistent and so I think we also have him in a different role than he was playing in Minnesota he was scrapping in front of the net for his goals in Minnesota like he was playing right out in front of the net he was those were the goals he was putting in here he plays a different role he plays time on the penalty kill he plays I mean he plays I would say a different role he still I he has so many skills that he can offer I think that's probably why it's such a surprise yeah that that line isn't isn't uh reaching its potential yeah, but I think Bruce Cassidy wants him to play a little bit more of that role that you were just describing. Like, I think he he wants him to be more assertive and go to the net and be aggressive that way. And he talked about it earlier this season at one point where he was saying, like, Coyle has been deferring to his wings a little bit too much. Like, almost taking his role as, okay, what do my wings need? How can I, you know, help them play their game? And in the process, he wasn't playing his game. And then it seemed like that had started to change. He had that two-goal game uh, against the Rangers. Then he goes on the COVID list and now, you know, misses the one game. Now he's been back, but quiet again. It, it looks yeah. like the same player before he had kind of started to like, jumpstart He plays like a Bruin. So he's mm-hmm. he's skilled. He's so strong on the puck. Like, he can possess the puck. It, once he has, it's hard to take it away from him. He gets it back when he loses it. He plays the right kind of hockey. I think that there's more to come from him. I can't see him going the rest of the season at this kind yeah. of pace. No, I, and maybe, just to say, yeah. these two guys maybe aren't the guys that should be matched with him on his No, line. maybe not. And, and I think, look, long term, I'm not really too concerned with, with, with Coyle. I, I do think that 
he's too good and he cares too much. I mean, effort's not the problem with Coyle. For whatever reason, he just goes through these slumps. I, I think he's a number two center playing on a number two. See, I don't. I, see, I, I, will... I think his potential is that he is a number two. He's, he's a 2B3A he's a center. And when, when you have that much size and skill and you're being matched up against other teams' third lines, he should be doing more than he is. Whereas in Minnesota... As Bridget said, he was in a little bit of a higher role, which makes sense why he would struggle. But when you're matched up against your other team's seven through nine forwards, he should be excelling a lot more than he is. Yeah, and that's what concerns me is that he's in, he's getting a lot of matchups he should be winning, right? And and he's not. And I think the Bruins intended for him to, if not take over the number two center role, then kind of split it with Krejci, like they were doing at times last season, where it's, you know, it's maybe you don't have a true second line, but you have two kind of like two A lines and he just hasn't really been that kind of center this season where you know you, like he's getting paid too much money to be a mediocre number three center if he's going to be a number three center he has to be one of the best in the league that's how he's getting paid that's what the Bruins view him as and he hasn't so like, you can be you can say like oh like well you know I, I like a lot of the things that he does and the way he possesses the pug and I like that he does some penalty killing and that's fine but then you have to realize like what he's getting paid and what yeah. his role is in this team. He's the I think the sixth highest paid player on the team. Like, that's not isn't Krejci still the first the highest paid forward? Yes. Um, I, I let me clarify that that statement by the way. I think on a Stanley Cup contending team, he's a three center. Yes. I did, but 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 you know but could, could be on could on be a two average. center, especially on a on a lower level team for sure. But yeah, end of the day, it's the matchup mismatch that should be there. And you know what? Maybe I just misread the Craig Smith situation. Maybe, but I don't know. I mean, the the goals were there consistently for four or five years, so I don't know. But that's a big that's a big yeah. uh, problem because the second line definitely needs to do the, carry their weight, and then the third line will pitch in, and everybody will slot in. And Kasha's been out, and it's tough to see what he is. And I get it, but you know what? They just need to be better. And uh, you know, like I, I've said this before, but Krejci hasn't had wings for about 10 years now, and I don't get that at all. But it's on the player. You have to find a way to perform. And I think I put less pressure on Krejci because I don't view him as a big goal scorer. If he's getting assists and he's playing well two ways, that's fine. And his role is, you know, transition game, carrying the puck into the zone with possession, setting up a play, setting up um, second unit power play, and assisting on things. And he made a really nice pass to DeBrus for his uh, first goal in a long time. So, I mean, that's, that's his role. Just to finish up this final thought on this topic, um, the game there's just completely flat against the Rangers last game. We're talking about the third line and maybe changing it up. Do you think we we see next game just a lot of movement, or do you think that's not what Cassie's going to want for the answer? I don't think it'll be a lot. I could see one or two changes. I mean, look, he's been changing lines every two games basically anyways. Out of really out of necessity more than anything. And who do you send a message to when your whole team plays like that? Right. Yeah. It's a, you don't have DeBrusca's the scapegoat anymore. He nope. was on the COVID list, so not, it wasn't him. But yeah. It, but it's that game showed it. Well, it showed a couple of things. One, just the maddening inc- inconsistency from this team this season, where they have these great games where it looks like they bounce back, and you see the team that they were earlier in the season, and it's like, oh yeah, there it is. And then the next game they lay a total dud. And it's like, how does that happen? How do you go from one extreme to the other so often? Like, this has basically been a full month now that this has been happening. At one point in the season, the Bruins had a 99% chance of making the playoffs, and now it's it's slowly dropping. Yeah, and, and like, we, we can get into that. Like, I'm not, I'm not taking for granted that they're going to make the playoffs right now. They're closer to being out than they are to first place at this point. They're fourth in the division. Uh Pittsburgh, Washington, and the Islanders have all been playing really well recently. Really, the Bruins' saving grace is that the Flyers have been struggling even more than they have. So they're still not in danger of like and the falling fact, out of that top four yet. And the fact that they still have eight games against the Sabres. Yes, like that, that's They're really going nice. to have to capitalize on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember last year when they – I think they had a losing record against the Red Wings, who were the worst team in the NHL last year. So and they're not doing much better this year. Can't always take it for Nothing, granted. Nothing's a guarantee with this Bruins team. And here's – Scott, here's why they can be inconsistent and get away with it. They have enough good players on the team, and they have enough guys who care that in a regular season situation, on any given night, they can come out and rectify you know their mishaps from the game before. The problem is when you get into a situation where it's a seven-game series, okay, you need to have an identity – and they don't have it. So outside of their top line, which is one of the best in the game, clearly they don't have a second line. 
Their third line, as we just discussed, has been underachieving. And their fourth line, which only a, you know, a year and a half ago with Nordstrom, Achari, and Corrali, which was one of the best in the league at the time, their fourth line has no identity. And that's a problem because you need them to go out there and, and create energy and, and, and be a shutdown role. And so you talk about maybe lineup changes. Chris Wagner. He hasn't done anything for me this year. And look, when you're when all your job really is to do, he's not expected to score. You're expected to go on the four check and finish every single body check and, you know, play hard and back check and play two under feet. He's not doing that. So there's this kid down in Providence, and you may watch him more, Bridget, but is it, is it uh, Jacob Lacco or Lauco? He he plays with, he's a spitfire. Okay, bring him up. They already brought up Seneshin. And by the way, Seneshin? And Corrali had some serious chemistry that game. Yes, well, because they're both lengthy and they have speed. And they, I think they worked yeah. well together. But uh, Senishin gets hurt first game that he plays for the Bruins, yeah. and, and that's unfortunate because I think there was something there. So I just I just think that there's some internal moves that they can make to. I'm not saying to light a fire under Wagner. I'm saying to like straight up replace him. Like I don't know what you can do with them. Maybe just I don't know. What, yeah, they can maybe just, like, he's just your extra forward. Yeah, maybe. Like, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't. I know Wagner has a couple years left on his contract. He just resigned before this past season. But I wouldn't feel like I need to be playing him. No. If if I feel like I have better options, and I think they definitely did the other night with like you mentioned, uh, the Corrali Stanika Sinition line. Really unfortunate that Sinition is out now. It, the so, last time he got called up last year and started to maybe establish himself, he suffers a knee injury that knocked him out like a couple months. And now yeah. this year it's upper body. We don't know all the details. Fortunately, it sounds like it's not going to be a months-long thing. Cassidy he, said more week to week. Was it like a laceration? Because if yeah. he didn't need surgery, that kind of made me think it may have been a cut. Yeah, it might have. But it, it's at least uh, encouraging that Cassidy said it's more of like a week-to-week yeah. thing than – something that's going to linger for months. So maybe you get him back in somewhat of a timely fashion here. But, yeah, while we're talking about, you know, depth in the fourth line, I also like the idea of using Stanika as your fourth line center there. Me too. One, he's and been much have. better at center than right wing this season. And two, you're so desperate for offense that maybe your fourth line isn't just your yeah. shutdown grinding line. Like yeah. Maybe put some guys there who can actually make plays and let's there, there is, see what there, happens. There is no – I know who the second, third, and fourth line are supposed to be, but they're not there. So no. it's up for grabs. And you can't tell me that Chris Wagner's not replaceable on that line. Even Corrali isn't – he could be replaced. I don't – Corrali should be on that fourth line uh, skill-wise, but if he's not playing the way he could – he could be replaced. And he was scratched. He was scratched too recently because you know, he made a really bad turnover that resulted in a goal, and then, and then the next he had game a he was bad scratched. That he game. made some very bad a, turnovers. A guy I'm torn on is Anders Bjork, though, because he's not a guy to me that's lacking effort. Um, no, he, but he, he has doesn't. more skill. He has maybe maybe his offense just can't translate at the NHL level. His potential is so high. I at the, it, I used it's been, to it's think been that, two years I, now, two three years now. Though. Right, I feel like we're at a point now where he's 24. I, I no longer feel like he has. That much potential. I, really? I, don't, I don't, I honestly don't think the offense is ever going to come in any sort of meaningful, at any sort of meaningful level in I'm the NHL. Um, but he does so much well that I like him in a fourth line role yeah. if he's going to be I consistent. Think that I, I, I still think he has so much value in terms of like you could get a lot for him if you wanted to move him. Like you could get it more than what you'd get with does. DeBrusque. But also, he, when he was in college, like like I said, I'll go back. When he was in Notre Dame, he scored like crazy there. He and did. he had, but he had different guys I around him. I watched him come into BU and just wreck them a few yeah. times. He, yeah. Because of what I've seen him do in the past, I really feel like there's another gear that he can get to um, that he hasn't been able to yet. And he has suffered injuries in the middle of his seasons yeah. a few times. And I just feel like we haven't seen all that we could see from him. That's why I say it's, his potential is still high. Um, I, I just think, first of all, he's not a he's not a fourth line like he's not used to being all the way down on the fourth line. He's not used to the role that he's in, and I I, I think he works so hard that he, he can does. figure he can figure it out. Yeah. I think he can I just figure think it he out. He hasn't done enough when he's gotten chances he's gotten, to move up in the yeah. lineup. Like he's had, he's played with Krejci. He's even had time on the top line. He's been on the third line plenty with Coyle. Ton, and he. Yeah. The offense just isn't there. So can I defend him just one more thing? Sure. He's rotated lines so many times that he's n- almost never playing. With but the they same all football. have Bridget, though. They all, yeah. Have, you know, <laughs> I mean that that's the life of a bottom six forward. Though, yeah, you know? I mean, and, unless you're 
Matt Martin, Casey Zizekas, and Cal Clutterbug. Who, by you, the way, look like the Harlem the different line. The Bruins make them look like the Harlem Globetrotters. They've been a fourth line together since like thirteen. You know, but you know, it's tough with Bjork. I don't know how to pinpoint it because he, you know, you look at someone like Ryan Donato, who was an absolute finisher at the college level, but his problem when he got to the NHL was he didn't have that breakaway NHL speed to give him time and space to utilize his shot like he did in college. Bjork has NHL caliber speed, so I'm not sure exactly what it is. And, you know, I don't think he's weak. I mean, I see him going out. He's not flopping around on the ice like, you know, 2015 Pashnak. So maybe it just might not be there. And I think, like Scott said, and you said, he does have value as maybe a hard four-checking fourth liner, but that can create turnovers. But there are changes that they can make internally before the trade deadline that I think that I think Sweeney might do, and they started with Seneshin and like bring up a, a Laco, bring up a, a Hughes or whomever is doing well down in Providence. Those guys will relish the opportunity because it seems like some guys are taking it for granted because there's no fans in the stands. No, no, there are guys that they're wanting to get their big break and they'll take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean that might light a temporary spark, and you know maybe Seneshin has longer term value in your fourth line, but they're clearly still one big forward away. Oh yeah, like they're. And, you know, I don't think Sweeney can make a trade right now just because I think teams are still kind of feeling out the market. You're still waiting to, for other teams to admit that they're going to be sellers who you know, probably aren't hmm. aren't going there yet. They're saying, oh, no, we still have a chance. You're going to have to blow us away. You know, like like the Devils. Like, what, are the Devils telling teams, like, we think we're still in it right now? They're not, but they're, like, just close enough that they might be able to say, no, you'd have to blow us away to get Kyle Palmieri right now. Uh, obviously, there's a couple obvious sellers: the Red Wings, the Senators, uh, Sabers, probably. So Anaheim could be one. Even they're kind of they're down there, but they're hanging around. And they got some young forwards like um, uh, what's his name from from the U.S. Uh, Trevor Zegers. So yeah. you, you got Zegers, and and you got some younger forwards that they might say, "Hey, you know what? We match them with the Silverberg and a Raquel in a couple of years or next year. We might be contending. So maybe they, they might hold on to like a Silverberg or a Raquel as opposed to the shopping them. Like maybe if there wasn't a Zegers, you know, who could replace them eventually and will replace yeah. them, but they could find that like 2017, 2018 Bruins chemistry with the old and the young, or kind of like what the Kings have been doing, where the Kings still have. Now I don't think the Kings are going to make the playoffs this year. I think they're probably still a year away. But they still have some of that older core, and now they're finally starting to get the young pieces to to put with it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's great. Like, I think it would be awesome if Sweeney made a move right now because clearly the team needs it. They're slipped. They're losing more and more ground as far as falling out of first place. So, really, any time you can do it is going to be a great time because you clearly need it. It's not going to solve itself. You have guys who are – everyone seems to be – put in a position that's like one step above where they should be in the lineup and you can't depend on Andre Kasha coming back like yes his injury is unfortunate yes it wasn't predictable upper body injuries you can't predict that stuff but at the same time he's been out of the lineup a lot he's been hurt a lot not just since he got to the Bruins but going back to Anaheim as well so hopefully you learned your lesson going into the year that what you had wasn't good enough and you don't talk yourself into well, if he comes back and he clicks there, like, no, just make a move when you get a chance to. I just don't think it's going to be right now, unless maybe it's someone like Bobby Ryan, who mm-hmm. Detroit clearly should be moving. He's off to a strong start. They're not going anywhere. He's on a one-year deal. It's only a million dollars. They absolutely should be looking to get whatever they can for him. So maybe that bidding war is already starting. Maybe you're part of that. I don't know. But... In general, the market isn't going to shake itself out for another couple of weeks until we yeah. get closer to that April twelfth deadline. So, may, so you mentioned like internal options. Maybe you start to try some of that, try to light a fire under a couple of guys, but you know, don't don't lose sight of the forest through the trees. You're you still need a top six winger, and you're going to need one if you're going to compete this year. So that still needs to be the priority. You're not going to find that in Providence. You're not going to find it in no. your current lineup. So. No, I, I'm, I'm just saying that you could replace Chris Wagner with yes. somebody in Providence. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Sure. You absolutely need uh, a top six winger for sure. And and despite, and we've talked about this, uh, Scott, you know, the Carlo injury, right? Like, does that make the need uh, for acquiring a defenseman that much more so? Yeah, it does. But you know what, though? It's like they can't score. 
So for me, the, the demand for a top six winger has not changed. And, you know, if it's somebody like Bobby Ryan, it's probably going to be a more affordable asking price. I mean, do you give up a DeBrusque for Bobby Ryan? No. So it would have to be something that makes more sense. But Honestly, I'd consider it that. I'd consider <laughs> it, yeah. But it's like, you know, Bobby Ryan is... He, he's he's not even on his back nine. He's on his back three, you know. And so, um, but I do like the size he brings, and you know, he would be a, he'd be an upgrade. He would help out, and, um, and he scores. Like yeah. he he shoots and he can still finish. He still has a good shot. Yeah, he has more five and five goals than any Bruin other than Marshawn and Pasternak. So. We just have a history of bringing in the wrong guy at that time of year. They have such a hard time. I mean, Rick Nash, like that move hurt us because uh, Lindgren. Yeah. Who now just we just had to play a series against in uh, in New York. Who, uh, he was part of that trade. And who, I, by the way, I think definitely has an extra chip on his shoulder against the Bruins sure. because he I don't know if you guys remember what Brad Marshawn said about him last year. No, Marshawn he had gone into it with someone, and someone asked Marshawn about it, and he was like, "Yeah, well, he's not going to be around the league very long." <laughs> he, like he straight up said, player. "Like he's not an NHLer." He's yeah. a good player. Yeah, like he, that was. We shouldn't have traded so, for Nash and given him up before in, we in knew who he was. Sure, I don't, I, in hindsight, sure, but I didn't mind that move. In, I liked that Scott. move at the time. Yeah. Yeah, at the time, yes, but in hindsight. Because at the time, they need, they need again, ongoing theme, they needed secondary scoring. And Rick Nash, obviously, you know, we knew he was pretty much done, but we didn't know. We still thought he would help out. And, you know, he did for a little bit, but then he got, hurt. I think, he had a concussion in one yeah. of the series and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. And then obviously he retired after yeah, that year. So, I mean, there's been some bad luck in those Sweeney misses. Like, obviously the Nash concussion. He never seemed like the same player after that. Oh. And last year, you get Kasha and Richie, and they get a couple games, and there's this long, months-long pause where it's like they probably didn't even really feel like part oh. of the team yet. Like, they'd only oh. gotten a couple games. They had, like, just been introduced to guys. Yeah. And now, okay, see you in a few months. Right. And, and Richie was one of the surprises of the year. See, he I, wasn't yeah, on our list. I, uh, exactly. I'm, 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 I'm thrilled for Richie because I think Me it's too. it's the Nick Richie revenge tour because everybody and their mother was sitting there saying, "Oh, what? Get this, get this oaf off the team." It's like, well, hand up, time. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, first the penalties. Of all, he's a, he's in a he's in a playoff bubble. There's no fans. His team looks lifeless. They're getting lapped by Tampa. Yeah, he was doing some stupid stuff, but at least he was trying to get his team engaged. And I, you know. He was only there for how many games, Scott? Ten total. It's like, yeah, he, you know. What I didn't know is that he was twenty-five and a top-ten pick. So yeah. he was the same age. He's the same age as Danton Heinen. I'll, even if Richie's not scoring, at least he's you know forechecking. And Heinen had skill, but he didn't get engaged at all. But you know, I don't know if you guys want to yeah. have any closing thoughts before we jump into Jake. So no, no, no. Let's let's Bridget? go. Let's, let's roll. Let's right. roll on to Jake DeBrusque. So obviously, last week there were some comments made about the lack of effort from Jake DeBrusque by Bruce Cassidy, and he scratched him. In a game in Long Island, I think for the third time in in DeBrusque's career. So we're gonna go to uh, Cassidy's comments about why he why he scratched Jake, and um, we'll talk about that afterwards. We're not getting the effort required. It's 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 not always about the score sheet, Steve. Uh, it's about being one of you know twenty guys helping you win. And some nights it's there, some nights it's not. So again, we've tried different messaging with the player, and and uh, you know sometimes going upstairs, taking a look. Uh, is not a bad way to go and put a different perspective on it. Maybe have a better appreciation for being in there and, and then, you know, maybe educating yourself on some things that you see from up top that, that look a little easier than they do in, in the live action. All right, so the most notable thing that, that Cassidy talked about was that there were other things he could be doing to help out and that he wasn't doing. It's the little things. And so, you know, it's not so much that he wasn't scoring that was pissing myself and any other Bruins fans off because it's not just the production. Okay, how are you helping your team when you're not scoring? How are you helping them away from the puck? Are you forechecking? Are you backchecking? Are you are you hard on in one-on-one battles? Are you going to the net or are you staying on the perimeter because you don't really want to pay the price to, to, to do what it takes to score? All of a sudden, you know, it's it's no coincidence that when you do those things, ironically enough, it leads to goal scoring and breaking out of slumps. So I really liked what Cassidy said. Um, I know some people had issues maybe, oh, don't go to the media, handle it internally. Look, if you, if you don't think Cassidy had these conversations, he said as much. He had these conversations with Jake and the assistant coaches, and sometimes I think Cassidy goes to the media very strategically. He, it's a time and a place to do so, and I think he did it perfectly. And um, I think the proof was in the pudding because Jake responded. Yeah, that was the, the Jermaine Wiggins take on the Greg Hill Show this week was Cassidy shouldn't have gone to the media that doesn't work with players. They don't. They're not going to respond to it. You risk losing them. 
But that's not I, hockey players. Though. No, yeah, I think you're right. Like everything that Cassie said to the media, he said that and way more to DeBrusque behind closed doors, one on one, in meetings with assistant coaches, meetings with other players. He mentioned that some veteran players talked to him when Marshawn spoke the other night after the game. You could kind of tell based on what he was saying that you know he didn't say I'm one of the players who talked to him, but you kind of got the sense that like Marshawn's talked to him. You know, like they've had these conversations. Yes, because he, I mean, Marshawn was uh, answering questions about like what he improved on, and so you could kind of tell like yeah. these are the things. And that he kind of broke about. out the Cassidy line of like it's these little things when he's doing all the they little things. They right. actually all said the same yeah. thing. If, if you listen to those three interviews, they all said pretty much word for word the same thing. He's getting the details right. Like it was just worded pretty much the same for what they wanted him to do. It was about the effort. It was about the forechecking. They all kind of paralleled each other's statements. Yeah, and, you know, now we'll see. Again, we don't know the exact situation with this COVID protocol list, but if and when he comes back from that, we'll see if it continues because that's that's always the thing with De, with DeBrusque is he'll have these bursts, he'll burn hot for a few games, mm-hmm. and then he starts to go cold again. So. Right this we, year. We he, need to see, this yeah. year he just never lit up. Right, he was always freezing. So now we now we need to see it. We need to see him do it game in game out and, and be consistent and not have to get to healthy scratch territory for a message a message to sink in. Mm-hmm. Like I, it should have never gotten that far. I want to talk about the silly side of this for a second because there was some silliness um, with Jake DeBrus coming back with his haircut mm. and oh, his, yeah. and changing his stick. So like. Have you ever done that, Brian? Have you ever been like, I really, I'm, I gotta change my whole vibe. I gotta, I'm cutting my hair. I'm changing. Oh my yeah, stick. yeah. When I was playing, yeah, there were times where I cut my hair, but not because of that. Because my mom would tell me you look like an idiot. Well, so, he said, not because I wasn't scoring, but <laughs> he said too. He said he needed to look younger, but I think what he was referring to was that he needed to look more professional. Yeah, I, I think what he probably did, Bridget, was he honestly, he probably wanted it was an cop- image. It was an image thing. He probably went to YouTube. Typed in Jake DeBrusque Game 7 against the Maple Leafs a few years ago, back when he actually went hard. Go on YouTube <laughs> and type in Bruins-Leafs Game 7. I think it was 18, right? Yeah. Watch that goal to go up 5-4. He's on the outside. He goes in that hard. Jake Garner puts him on his ass, but he or, scores. It's 5-4. That's the way you need yeah. to play. And I think or or that the, the third period of uh, one of the games against the Hurricanes this past postseason. I think it was like the same thing. He had two yeah. goals. One, one he went like flying through the air, got, like, got hit as he was scoring it. He probably had short hair when he scored those goals, and he actually changed things up. But I did. And hockey players are superstitious like that. And then the changing the stick thing—he had the weirdest stick before he he changed back. The hole in it or something. Yeah, it has like a thin hole. I think only like seven or eight NHL players also use a stick. It's very rare. Um, I had to look it up when I was writing the article. I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, it's a weird stick. I understand why he changed that. That makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, that's just like the, the weird hockey player stuff where it's like, hey, if I'm if I'm changing so so much other stuff, like I might as well change all this too. And DeBrusque even said like, you know, like he kind of joked about that, and then was like, obviously I know it wasn't the the stick. Like I know it was my game that I needed to get going. Um, so you know now we'll see if 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 he does, we'll see if he can keep it going because the Bruins obviously need it. Yeah, they they need him to be a top six winger for them, not. In and out of the lineup, not sent down to the third line or maybe the fourth line. Like they need him to be with Krejci and play that role and score and score yeah. consistently. Well, when you're struggling, the last thing you want to do after a game is talk to all the beat writers like Scott and Bridget <laughs> and have to answer what's going he did on. Not, but... No, he did not want to talk to us. <laughs> but but uh, but when he gets back on the score sheet and and can kind of uh, say ha ha to everybody else, then he he took the chance. Uh, it's my job to do that. You know, it's my job to. Uh, be the best I can be every single day. Uh, you know, there's obviously distractions, and I'm a pretty easy target at the moment. So, I mean, I understand the territory. I mean, it's, uh, you know, pretty much warranted. So I get that. But, um, yeah, I took personally for sure. I mean, who wouldn't? You know, anytime that you get uh, scratched, it stings. So, um, you know, I was pretty um, beyond frustrated already, and it just kind of was nice. It was a nice little reset for me because I knew I was going to come with some heat today. You know, not for nothing, I think for anybody who knows the game, nobody – Nobody was upset with Jake because he wasn't scoring or producing. We could see the eye test was telling us it's very obvious when you're watching the game. It was lazy hockey. He 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 wasn't doing what it took to be successful. He wasn't he wasn't playing hard enough. He wasn't. And you know what? We've seen him do it, which makes it even easier. And then when you watch him against the Rangers on Thursday, you see it again. So we know 
what he looks like when he's playing well. And Scott brought up Wiggy on the morning show, and you know he was like, he's like, so Ken, if you if if he's not scoring but skating hard, you can tell. And him and Greg are like, yeah, we can. And Wiggy's <laughs> like, nah, y- y'all crazy. It's like. No, no one's crazy. Well, wait, fall- that's why Wiggy isn't um, oh, on was- the skate pod. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wiggy, Wiggy was playing the antagonist. He, you know, he's playing a role, so I get it. But my point is, it's very obvious when, when you see a player doing the things that they have to do to be successful. Jake was on the four check. He was finishing his checks. His feet never stopped moving. He played with a lot of piss and vinegar, and there's a reason why he found a way to score that game. Yeah, and I, I liked what he so when he was talking to the media after, and he mentioned, you know, like, uh, people think I'm done here or whatever. And then he said... He said that he was pissed off and he's going to keep that. And he said, Good. I knew I was coming in with yeah. some heat. Good. Like, keep whatever chip on your shoulder you need to, whether it's you're pissed off at Cassidy for sitting you or you're just pissed off at the circumstances in general. Or pissed off at the media. Pissed for, off at the media for, for writing you off. and For writing all these articles you. about, oh, who can like, we get for Jake DeBrus? Do whatever you do need to do to stay motivated. But, you know, so, yeah, if that means, you know, you're going to play it, if you're going to play mad and that's what you need to do to – to get yourself going and to be in it every night, then, yeah. then great. I mean, as fans, it's it, we can't empathize with the players because we've never played in the NHL, but we can sympathize with them when it comes to the fact like it's probably not as fun the last year and a half or year or whatever. Um, since COVID started. Since COVID started playing with no fans, okay? It's it's part of the part of the lore of being a professional athlete is, is the glitz and the glamour that comes with it. And when, and when that goes away... And you just you feel like you're scrimmaging, and I get it. And Brian, you were saying some players it affects, and some players it doesn't. Yeah. And Jake DeRuss might just be one of the guys it affects more. Right, and you know, obviously, like you look at Bergeron, right? Not going to affect him. The, the ultimate professional in any sport across all all sports. You, you don't think Bergeron would rather play in front of fans? Of course he would, but he understands his job to do, and he gets paid handsomely, probably not as much as he should. He understands that he's he's getting paid to play a sport, and that the bare minimum you can bring night in night out, fans and no fans, is effort. And, you know, there are some younger players where all they know is fans and they're younger and that's that's what they want. And it's tough to get up for games and it's tough to go into the corner and and take that lick and, 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 and go to the front of the net and take those cross checks to the ribs. When there's no fans there in, in section load, you know, load six with two beers in their hands yelling, shoo. Brian, have you have you been any, at any of the games this year? No. No. So for Scott, I, I'll speak for myself. Maybe Scott also has an opinion on it. It's it was weird. That first game that we had media in there was it was weird. There was, I mean, it was like watching a scrimmage. It, yeah. And I so I understand why sometimes if they they show up inconsistently. Well, some games they're acting like they're playing in front of a packed garden, and some games they're acting like it's a practice. Right. Yeah, but that that's where it gets into everyone's in the same boat. Yeah. Like, exactly. Exactly. It, so, it is. And you have to be a pro. You know, as of right now, so the Rangers were the first team in the division to start to have fans back. I think the Islanders are now allowed to have them and New Jersey. And, yeah, and the Bruins are next. So, you know, they'll have them next week. But everyone's been in the same boat. Everyone, you know, the other thing people talk about is the schedule. Uh, they're playing every other night and sometimes back-to-backs and you know, are they tired? Are they just worn down? Well, you've lost ground in the standings and those teams you're losing ground to are playing the same schedule. Yeah. They're playing the same every other night schedule, so yeah, it, it's tough. Yeah, it it's sucks. a weird season for playing everyone. that often with no fans. Yeah, I imagine it stinks, but everyone's dealing with it, and other teams are finding a way to get through it and win consistently. And you haven't over the last month, so whatever. Maybe it's conditioning. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Cassidy suggested that, but that doesn't make sense to me. And, and Matt yeah. Grizzly after the game said that it's mental fatigue. I think yeah. I think he was being. Passive aggressive and kind of throwing I think a shot he was. I, and, you hopefully know, he doesn't run them. What they, I, well, they they need their energy. No, he he. So he one, won't one thing that's them. one thing that's kind of occurred to me recently, and I'm I'm not ready to go fully down this road yet, but it does seem like Cassidy's message isn't getting through the way it usually does. Not just with DeBrusque, who obviously it took, it got so bad it got to healthy scratch territory. Mm-hmm. But he keeps every time they have a game like this, one of these duds, he talks about. Effort, consistency, you know, what they need to do. And and last night he's questioning, you know, are they in shape or are they tired or whatever. And he's talked this year about times they've had to have had have had to have harder practices than maybe you'd like in a compressed schedule. And it just seems like and maybe it's just a maybe it's a player's thing. Maybe it yeah. is what this team mentally just can't get itself going. But it seems like Cassidy is trying to press a lot of different buttons to get them where they need to be and it's not really working and 
you know, we hear all the time in sports about how like a coach's message, a coach's voice only lasts so long until guys start to lose it. And we saw it with Claude Julian. We've seen yeah. it with Red Sox managers over the years. We, you know, people have started to wonder it about Brad Stevens at times this year. Bill Belichick's the only one it seems to never happen to. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll or, see about depending, that. Depending, huh? yeah. I, I, but, yeah. So I'm not ready to like I'm not ready to go that far yet. I don't I think Neither there are, am I. I'm I think not, there are plenty of other that. things you can try, namely make some trades before we start talking about Bruce Cassidy's job. But I do find it interesting that more than ever he has had to try different things, shake things up, call out his team, call out individual players, healthy scratch guys who aren't given enough effort. Again, not just the brush, but we mentioned the game where Corrales been healthy scratched twice. Chris Wagner's been healthy scratched. Uh, you know, defensemen have been, been in and, in and out. out. Bjork, yeah. yeah. So there's there's something there that he, that isn't worth. He's saying things and it's not getting through to players, and they're not really responding. I, I, it's a good point, Scott, and I think that the environment that surrounds them during COVID, I think, plays a big factor. I think that it's a lot more intimate. Under, a lot more sacrifice. Yeah, under normal circumstances, say say a team has a bad period, you go into the locker room and maybe you just let them cool off. Like they're in the locker room and they can hear above them the PA announcer announcing chuck a puck, and you can hear the music playing. And like the, the coach is like, all right, you know what? Just let them relax and breathe. They'll be fine for the second. I don't, I don't have to say anything. When there's nobody in the arena, like you have to, you have to you have no choice but to talk to them. And I think that Cassidy understands that he could lose the room any coach could but I so because he knows that I do think he oftentimes relies on Bergeron and Marshan to relay his message I bet you more oftentimes than not when whenever when they have an off an off night or an off period he'll pull them aside and say look guys um you know this message needs to get across what's going on and I think he'll let them do that and I think he only speaks up to the team when need be I think you might see him speak to the media more than he actually does to the team I think he lets his captains do that more so just to finish off that thought, that is kind of something that when you lose Chara, you lose a dynamic mm, in that sense. Good point. So that, you know, it's just not the same dynamic in the locker room. And, yeah, if you think that uh, how the players receive him is different this year than last year, maybe that's part of the reason. And maybe he could really use somebody like Chara. Not that they don't respect Bergeron. I mean, Bergeron is a very respectable guy, but that – you know, you're saying Bergeron and Marshawn. Well, it used to be Bergeron, Marshawn, and Chara, and it, there used to be an extra guy to keep an eye on the defenseman, the, the young defenseman, and whatnot. Like, it could it could factor in. Yeah, I, I think I think two things are are really looming over this team. I think ultimately, I think there is a bit of a lack of skill uh, or or, yeah. or finish. You know, they have they have skill and they have enough, certainly enough to do better than what they're doing offensively. But there's there is a lack of of scoring on this team. And there's well, and, and to Cassidy's credit, there's always that defensive foundation. Like we, we, we started this by talking of- about, you know, their young defensemen stepping up. Well, part of that is because Cassidy has a great system Yeah, where, you know, I'm not saying you plug in anyone because look, we've seen it struggle at times recently when they're down yeah. three or four regular defensemen. But for the most part, if you have NHL caliber defensemen in and NHL caliber defensive forwards, mm-hmm. Bruce Cassidy's teams are going to be good defensive teams because he sets that base. So, like, they're going to have that, and that alone keeps them in the mix and gives them a chance, and it's why it's why this team is worth adding to because yep. you have that base and you have something to build on. It's not like you're, you're not completely lost as a team. You're just, to your point, Brian, you're, you're, missing, you're missing skill. You're missing finish. Like, you yep. just need ideally two, but let's start with one more game breaker. Yeah. Someone outside of your top line who, when it's these tight-checking, low-scoring games, steps up and makes a great play and scores. Yeah, and, and, and Coyle's capable of that, and Craig Smith should have been, and Craigie is. So they have guys that should, but they, it's not enough, though. Ricky Even, was doing that for a little bit in the beginning of the year. Uh, uh, he was, and I'll put it to, and a lot of it was on the power play, but still yeah, better than nothing. Yeah, it was, but right in front of the net, screening, yeah. fighting I'll, for pucks. I'll put it to you guys this way. Coyle, Krejci, Richie, Craig Smith. Andre Kasha, Jake DeBrusque. Those guys could all be scoring and producing. If they want to win a cup, they still need another guy. They well, still need another guy. Yeah, well, Don, like Don at, Sweeney said something when he spoke to the media this past week. Said something alarming in terms of, he was asked, like, you know, are you surprised by the offensive struggles or whatever? And at that, 
Yeah, so this was before the Krejci DeBrusque breakthrough game. Uh, and he was like, well, I'm, if you had told me that we'd be this far into this two months into the season and what we thought was going to be our second line would have zero five and five goals. And that just kind of hits you and you're like, oh, yeah. Okay, Jake DeBrusque hasn't scored a five on five goal yet. He now has one. David Krejci hasn't scored a goal. He has now scored one goal. Yeah, so suck it, Scott. Uh, Andre Kasha has played a game and a half. And it's like, wow, you're right. Like, Now, look, you can debate whether that was a second line worth bringing into the season or yeah. whether you are you were already in trouble having that be your second line. Which but regardless, you would not have expected DeBrus Krejci Kasha to be zeros across the yeah. board so far. So. I, I, I like what you said, the last thing you said. It, no, Sweeney couldn't have predicted that they wouldn't score, but he's. it still wasn't good enough going into the year. Like, especially, look, when you play Tampa, they it, all it did was reassure that the year before, Tampa getting bounced by Columbus really did do, do you a favor because the Bruins were outclassed uh, offensive depth-wise. Look, you go back to 2011-2013, okay, even though they lost in 2013. You need to have three lines that can jump over the board and score at any time. You look at 2011, you had Krejci, Lucci, Torton, Bergeron, Rucky, uh, Marshan. Kelly, Peverly, and Ryder. Two of those three were on your third line. Had twenty. There were twenty goal scorers, and then your fourth line was very well established. You need three lines that can come over and score, especially when your first line's negated, and they will be. And they just don't have that right now. And even with a healthy and productive Kasha, they didn't. And they need to upgrade. And that's what I would say to that. And then obviously, Bridget, you brought up in the uh, show sheet uh, a fun conversation yeah. about what happened last game. Uh, yeah, and we talked about Frederick a little bit earlier in, in the beginning of this, but so Trent Frederick has turned into quite an instigator, and some sometimes it's, you know, pushing and shoving. Other times, specifically talking about last game, it's a little out of the box. So in the pregame, he decides, so Brennan Lemieux goes onto the Bruins' side of the ice, um, and you know, Frederick's keeping an eye on him, apparently, even in warm-ups. And he comes over, he gives him a whack, tell him to get back on his side of the ice. And then I saw them uh, it, later in that clip. Uh, Lemieux comes back, and Frederick makes a beeline at him to get him again. But he but he got over the line before he could get him. So that's, that's even before the game starts, the last game against the Rangers. Then, so first, first question, Brian, is that silly... Or is that warranted? Like, if you if you're on the ice, yeah, somebody does that. Yeah, what are you doing? If I'm Frederick, if you're Frederick, oh no, yeah, you're letting him know it's it's one of the unwritten rules of the game, right? You don't cross on our side during warmups. So I think I think Frederick was doing what he was supposed to do. Somebody on the Bruins had to do something. It's just the game within the game. You know, it's nothing serious. But you know what Lemieux was doing was an old school thing, old school hockey train of thought where we came out, we had a dud because as bad as the Bruins played on Saturday. The Rangers played as poorly on Thursday, so Lemieux is sitting there and he's just trying, you know, spark up a little, a little uh, emotion there. And they have history and they have bad blood already. Of course, and there's going to be what's that? There's was that their fifth and sixth game against them this year? Yeah, Are there only two left with the Rangers? That sounds about right. All right, so uh, yeah, I mean, we, I think Nesson should just start airing. Bruins Rangers warm ups because yeah. <laughs> when they were in New York like a few weeks the ago, Zibana- the- that was when you had the Marshawn Zibanejad. <laughs> I forgot about that. So. Yeah, yeah. Now it, it's all in good fun. Um, you know, I think I think Lemieux is just you know trying to you know let let the Bruins know that they're there and they were ready to play that night. And then Frederick is obviously going to sit there and say, "All right, I see you, um, but get on your own side." Um, so Scott, I don't know if so you thought it was. Silly I thought or not, it was but. just annoying rather than like an actual instigator thing like obviously it's gonna it's gonna piss off Lemieux but it's just like an so annoying. you thought Frederick was annoying or Lemieux I think they were both being annoying yeah I think it was, they both it was enjoy Lemieux. It, though. it was Lemieux trying to yeah. start something and yeah. like Brian said like your team's coming off a dud so like hey I'm gonna I'm gonna get under their skin right away like right and they did warm-ups and, and the second part of this topic of conversation was what happened on the ice between the two of them because yeah. they fought they've already fought this season they're they're under each other's skin, but it's a cheap shot by Lemieux that that happens to, to Frederick when he's trying to get on the bench. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna, I'm going to defer to Scott first because I know uh, you had some feelings about this on Twitter that it could have been suspense suspension worthy. Yeah, so I've maybe calm down a little from that, but it was <laughs> dirty, and it I would have been fine with a game misconduct honestly because it's a dangerous situation. It was a two minute penalty. What it was a two it? minute. Yeah, what was it though? 
Uh, uh, boarding. It was boarding. It was boarding. Boarding. Yeah, boarding. Yeah. So it's dirty, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He sees Frederick dump the puck in, turn to get off the ice. He's he knows, halfway in the bench. He knows bench. the door is open, mm-hmm. and he hits him from behind. And he yeah. like and he from split. behind, way late, and you know the door is open, so you know you're hitting him into a vulner- vulnerable position. And he landed and, in a vulnerable position. Like yeah. the, the bench, like split him between his yeah, legs. I mean that can that could have done some damage. And I, I just think like in terms of just sheer stupidity, I would have been fine with just about any penalty in that play. Like, and by the way, the the two games left against the Rangers are the last two games of the season, so they won't see them again till mm-hmm. May sixth and May eighth. Well, hopefully um, those games are rather meaningless because it means the Bruins got into the playoffs and they can just settle some scores. I mean, I I, I thought it was a cheap play, um, but, you know, the old school uh, hockey mentality in me was kind of like, don't throw them out of the game because I want, I want the Bruins to have a chance to respond. And, you know, again, spark some emotion that was kind of lacking. And uh, it wasn't just Frederick. You know, Marshan got, he got, uh, he got. Knocked down a few times with some force. Krejci got, speaking of Lindgren, Krejci put Lindgren almost through the boards if they would have caved through. Um, and again, you know, the Bruins just didn't really respond. And after Frederick got uh, hit, I think the score was one nothing, 2 nothing at the time. I don't know. But it was 2 nothing. 2 nothing. Frederick got hit. You get a power play and um, nothing doing. And there's nothing worse. Look, if you're not going to score on a power play, at least create some uh, some offense to build off of. It was just a dud. And, 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 and Cassidy ended up doing, Scott knows my feelings in this. I want McAvoy in the first power play more than I need. I need air. The, <laughs> I, I, I get. I get why Grizzlick is there. Okay, he's the closest thing they have to Krug. But from where I'm coming from, McAvoy is all around better than all of them. And and, and he's, there was there was a little bit of McAvoy there the they last did. game. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. did. They did. I think. I mean, they're, they're trying all different things because obviously it's, it's a unit that's been struggling. So they've tried Krejci out high. Like they're definitely rotating more. Pasternak's been out high at times. Yeah, he's so been th- successful out high. Yeah, they're trying to get some different looks and try some different things. So. I like both. I'm okay with that since nothing right now is really clicking completely. I I like Grizzlick. I like him a lot. I like both of them on the power I, play. I, I th- think that they're you, you in, could. In, no, I don't mean at the Together? same time. Oh Not no, at yeah, the same time. No, I mean interchange them and you're pro- you're doing okay. So for me, I like Grizzlick a lot. He's a very smooth skater. He's a great puck mover. Great hands, especially in tight. And there's little there are little passes that he does that don't come as easy to to, to McAvoy. But I think Grizzlick is the perfect number two um, quarterback power play. And I think, look, when you watch McAvoy, the thing that he has that not only Grizzly doesn't, most defensemen don't, zone entries are so important on the power play. And when when things aren't going well, when you see, when you see Pasta kind of like just kind of, you know, going laterally to create your Martian, you, you see that they're kind of puzzled, they're, they're frustrated on their entries. All it takes sometimes is for McAvoy to take the puck, and his strides are so long, and he just he he has seamless zone entries, and that is so important because how oftentimes does the penalty kill ice off the opening face off, and then the power play takes a minute plus to get back in the zone. McAvoy's skating ability, and Grizzlick is a phenomenal skater, but Gr- McAvoy's strides are that much more powerful. I just I really want McAvoy on that top unit in one way, shape, or form, and I just think that ultimately he should be there, and Grizz put Grizzlick with like Krejci on the second unit and Coyle and and you have two great units and maybe split the time where it's like the first unit gets uh you know 70 seconds and the second unit gets you know 50 as opposed to like you know almost two full minutes for the first unit yeah I mean look the the easy cop-out answer is that neither one of them is Tori Krug and that's you know that's the big problem for the number one power play unit which I think has merit because Krug was you're right about McAvoy skating, but what Krug was so good at was fi- opening up passing and shooting lanes himself with mm-hmm. his feet movement, walking the line, and just finding those lanes. And I think McAvoy and Grizzly can learn that, and they can get better at it. They're it's not like they're bad at it, no, but they're not Krug. Like if you look, uh, I think I believe last year and probably a couple times in recent years, Krug has had the most primary power play assist of anyone in the NHL. Yeah. And that's that's because like he's the one who's seeing that pass is going to lead to the goal. And I, I just don't think McAvoy and Grizzlick are quite at that level as passers. So yes, there are other things they can bring, but I think that's one element that's missing on the power play right now is they 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 can get in the zone, they can get set up now not 
Saturday. Saturday mm-hmm. they couldn't do anything. Yeah. It was a complete dud all around. But for the most part, they've been able to, I think, get set up and get some zone time. Yeah. They're just not finding, like, that, okay, like, there's the grade A, there's the pass that unlocks the grade A chance. So when it comes to the power play, and, and you're right, Scott, I mean, Tory had it all mastered, and unfortunately, uh, McAvoy and Grizzly don't have the reps yet. But you, you saw you saw McAvoy's pass to Frederick against um, Washington, I think it was. Uh, the back door, no look. Yeah, you knew he was there, and then you saw Grizzly do it to Martian like a few minutes later. So they they're capable of it. I think more reps could help them get there. But they, you're right, they're not at Krug's passing ability. But the biggest thing with the power play um, is puck pursuit. It's when you, when the, when you have an offensive zone face off to start a two minute power play, the last thing that you should be doing is being stationary and waiting for that perfect play to open up because you're making the penalty kills job easy. They get to sit there in the box and do their thing. You you, you win the opening draw. Okay, you want what you, you want to get a shot on that pretty quick, pretty quick in the first 10, 15 seconds because then the penalty kill they're 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 scrambling. They're they're going after rebounds and, and they get out of position, out of structure, and opens up more seam passes that Krug was so good at finding and. When you do put the puck on that and there's rebounds, that's when the puck pursuit comes in. And when the Bruins were playing, uh, I think the Islanders a few nights ago, you saw that puck pursuit. Puck pursuit's everything. You have an extra guy on the ice, right? And so that's 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 the biggest key. And when it comes to Krug, I know, but he's not here anymore. So what are they, they, it's going to be one of them. It's hey, either way, they come a long way from uh, from Big Z running the the top of the umbrella. <laughs> so you know, bring back the Big Z screen. Remember those? That was, a, that was the five on three specialty <laughs> yeah. back in back in the day. Yeah. We have one last topic to get to. Uh, you want to just go through this one quick? It's it could be a yes or no with a little bit of um, you know extra discussion. Uh, are you concerned about the Bruins' playoff chances? So, we'll, Brian, if you want to answer first. Ultimately, I think they get in, but that doesn't mean I'm not concerned. I am concerned a little bit. I think that you know. Um, they started off so well. It was kind of just deceiving. Was it were they ten one and two, Scott, or ten two and one? Whatever it was. Yeah. Whatever it was, you know, it was a phenomenal record, but if you were watching the games, which we all did because we have to cover them and everything, um, you know, a lot of them weren't pretty and they were getting by with some low scoring overtime games, shootout games, whatnot. So it was a little bit deceiving. I don't know about you guys, but I've been looking up at the schedule lately. And maybe it's because I do the takeaways after every game. I'm like, how many more of these I got I gotta write? Uh uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> But um they're not even halfway through the season, and it feels like they should be. And so my point is, they have a lot of hockey to go. And if they don't right the ship, they are in danger because the Rangers are going to be there. They're nipping at their heels, and the Penguins will be there. So for me, you're looking at the. Uh, I do think the Islanders come back to the pack a little bit. Philly's underachieved. For me, it's 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 the Islanders. It's the the Penguins, Penguins. the Capitals, the Bruins. Um, you know, the Rangers. It could be a six team race. I, I do mean, think the Bruins find a way to get in. Um, I do think at the end of the day, when you have a Norris caliber or emerging Norris caliber type player like McAvoy, and you have an elite scorer in Pashnak, uh, and, and an all-world two-way player in Bergeron and Marchand, and a, a Vesna caliber goalie in Tuca when he's healthy, and a um, Jack Adams caliber coach in Cassidy, they have enough pieces to be there, but I they won't be going far without addressing some of the issues. So I'm concerned. I think they get in, but I am concerned. Yeah, I would say I'm also definitely concerned because so far we're two months into the season. The first month of the season, they played like one of the best teams in the NHL. They had the best record in the league through the first month. The second month of the season, they have played like a non-playoff team. They are 4-6-2 and two over the last month. They have won four out of 12 games they have played over the last month. That is not a playoff team. And, and the other teams that we're talking about that they're in contention with, so the Islanders have won their last eight, mm-hmm. uh, Penguins have won their last five, and the uh, Capitals have won their last four. Yeah. So and, and so those are teams that are heading in the right direction, whereas the Bruins are currently in a situation where they don't know what went wrong last game, but it went, went horribly wrong, and they don't really know how to inject that life back in and get the consistency because they can play like that, but then it's then the next game they don't. I mean, they win four nothing, they lose four nothing. They're I'm not they're they're not on solid ground. Yeah. In in my opinion, I do want to bring um, some analytics into it. 
So, so, so they I'll have see you guys later. Currently, <laughs> they currently have a ninety percent chance of making the playoffs. Ninety percent. Yeah, that's would, per, per the athletics model. Yes, yeah. with analytics. That is a little bit surprising. Yeah, that that seems high for me. That's taking their games in, in but, hand into account, probably. Well, and, and the fact they, that they have do, eight games against the Sabers left. And they have they have sure. they have a ridiculous eight game um, homestand coming up. Yeah. Uh. But yeah. So look, I think they're going to get in too. As I said earlier, their saving grace right now is that the Flyers are struggling even more than they are, and I'm definitely. I think the Flyers could potentially turn it around and make a run and get back in this, but I wouldn't bank on it. I think that's a really flawed team, especially defensively. Um. So the Bruins should be in, but they can't keep playing like this for much longer. Because then they will find themselves in a real battle just to make the playoffs. And that's not the conversation we should be having. We should be talking about how does this team make us run for the cup. That's the conversation we were having a month ago. And So we, if, if that starts to shift to are they going to make the playoffs, then things have already gone pretty and, badly and they, wrong. they do have a percentage listed for the Bruins' chance of um, winning the Stanley Cup at 7% chance. Want to hear a ridiculous thing? Um the Tampa Bay Lightning, they give them a 30% chance of winning the Stanley Cup. It's like a ridiculous, and 40% chance of being in the final. I think a lot of that's, that's because, crazy. Uh, I think a lot of that's because Colorado's kind of been underachieving slightly. Um, I think they would have gotten more percentage if they were playing to their capabilities. But look, Tampa, Tampa, pl- look, they have a ton of talent. Yeah, we're, we're- they play the right way, they yeah. go to the net. Every game, even their little guys, Braden Point is all around the crease, and that's the way that they have to play. Like, to be optimistic here, because I do think right now we're kind of at a, a low point for the Bruins right now. And 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 when your low point is fourth in the division uh, with games in hand, um, you know it's not it's not all bad. But I do think a month from now, if you're looking at a roster that has Kevin Miller back on it, Jeremy Lozon back on it, hopefully Brandon Carlo, probably Andre Kasha, um, and and you know a uh, and Tuca being healthier. Tuca's obviously back, and then. You know, obviously, uh, a deadline acquisition, a significant one, and they're playing the right way. We'll be sitting here saying, like, you know, bring on anybody. But right now, those are all question marks, and so we have to judge them off of how they've played of late. And right now, even if the roster right now is 100% healthy, they're not Tampa good. They're not, they might not even be, you know, Vegas good. And a lot of that's just the way that those teams play, too. I don't just mean the roster. The way those teams play every single game, it's you have to match that. So we'll see. It's a good yeah. place to end, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, if there's any other place they can find the podcast besides the website. You'll be able to find it pretty much anywhere you get a podcast. It will be on wi.com. It'll be on the radio.com app. It'll be on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, any other podcast service that I haven't thought of or named. Uh, but yes, it'll be available anywhere. And the uh, the Twitter account is still up and running. Yep, we are bringing that back uh, at the Skate Pod, so that'll be uh, you'll be able to find stuff there. We'll update it frequently during games, you know, observations, whatever. Um, and you can follow all three of us on Twitter if you want. I am at s mclaughlin nine. I'm oh I'm at Bridget Prue, but that's probably impossible to spell for you. So. <laughs> Prue is spelled P-R-O-U-L-X. We'll put in the description of the podcast. I, yes, it's I too French for people to figure out usually. I don't even know what I am. Hold on a second. I'm, I think um, you're at underscore. I'm at Brian DeFelice underscore. Uh, yeah, so close. You, you almost <laughs> do it more than I did. Um, but this was a fun first episode, obviously, and good to be back after a little bit of a hiatus. And we know there's a big demand for, for Bruins and financial coverage in the city, and so we look forward to bringing it to you guys.